you live on record from Rossafari Zoo News World Headquarters, currently a hotel room in Columbus, Ohio, but I digress. This is a Rossafari Zoo News special report remembering the life and legacy of Betty White. Here's your host, John Rossi. All right, y'all, as you just heard from definitely not me with a slightly different voice and really bad transatlantic accent. Anyway, uh, this is going to be our look at the life and legacy of Betty White, who we lost today, December 31st, 2021. Betty White leaves behind an incredible legacy, but today I'm not going to be looking at one of the longest and most impressive careers in the history of modern entertainment. I'm not even going to be talking about the rapier wit and sass that Betty White possessed. I am here to share a side of Betty White that was incredibly important to her, and, if you're a fan of this podcast, will be important to you, too. You see, Betty White was an incredible lover of animals, zoos, and the conservation world. Today, I'm going to remember her by sharing that side of her with y'all. Even knowing that Betty White loved animals, I had no clue how much she did for them until I started doing some research tonight. And I mean, it's New Year's Eve during a raging pandemic. What else did I have to do this evening? But uh, let's dig into it, shall we? It turns out that Betty White started to develop a deep love for animals at an early age. Her parents always took in pets from people who could no longer care for them, and the care of these animals often fell to Betty, who loved the job and learned eagerly. Her parents never turned animals away, even during the Great Depression when a lot of people had to give up their pets. At one point, the family was taking care of 26 dogs. That is so many dogs. And Zoe, if you're listening to this, that's too many dogs. During her time caring for these animals, Betty learned all that she could about animal husbandry and fell in love with every animal she came across. In her early life, when asked what she wanted to be when she grew up, the only answer she ever gave was, I want to be a zookeeper. This passion never left her, and she spent her life not only building an incredible, trailblazing career in the arts, but also focusing on animals. And I do mean focusing. This wasn't some occasional hobby or dabble for the Golden Girls star. In fact, in 2009, White told TV Guide, quote, I'm the luckiest person in the world. My life is divided in absolute half. Half animals, half show business. In another interview, she stated that there isn't an animal on the planet that I don't find fascinating and want to learn more about. Same, Betty. Same. In the 1970s, she launched a TV show called The Pet Set, where she started each episode off by introducing a pet and then their celebrity owner. While the show was a product of its time and included some animal handling practices now frowned upon, it did a lot to shine a light on not just pets, but also exotic animals. Over time, she had animals such as leopards, elephants, lions, and other endangered species on the show that were being trained using positive reinforcement, enhancing their quality of life over those of most captive animals at the time, which were still trained using negative punishment, whipping, and other practices we now stay away from. At the time, this new method of training was known as affection training, and Betty White was one of the first and biggest names to bring it to a national audience. 
this is now considered the only acceptable form of training in most zoological facilities. In order to illustrate how effective this training method was, Betty actually brushed the mane of a full-grown male lion in between giving it kisses on her show. Now, again, this is not something that we would want to see on the air today for just about a gazillion reasons, but at the time, this was an amazing and powerful bit of imagery for what was still considered a new and unconventional training method. Betty would return to animal-themed television shows repeatedly in her career, including hosting shows such as The Hero Dog Awards, Big Cat Week, and Betty White Goes Wild. Over the years, Betty White supported numerous animal-related nonprofits, including donations, volunteering hours, making public appearances, and recording PSAs, public service announcements. Most importantly, as far as this podcast is concerned, Betty White loved zoos. In 2011, she released a book, Betty and Friends, which was a love letter to the zoos she had visited and the animals she got to know there. Much as I have Elmwood Park Zoo as my home zoo, Betty White had the Los Angeles Zoo, and she started volunteering there in 1966 when it opened. In 1974, she became a member of the Board of Trustees at the nonprofit Greater Los Angeles Zoo Association, known as GLAZA, a position she held until she passed away. Tom Jacobson, the president of GLAZA, said that she was a huge advocate for improving the quality of habitats and enrichment for the animals at the zoo. In particular, the chimpanzee, gorilla, and elephant habitats were expanded and redesigned because of her advocacy, and she personally took charge of a lot of the fundraising to get those projects done, even enlisting her friend Jane Goodall to advise on the design of the chimp habitat. She was so heavily involved in Glaza that in 2013, the Los Angeles chapter of the American Association of Zookeepers made her an honorary zookeeper. In the process, they helped Betty White fulfill her childhood dream of becoming a zookeeper. When the television network TV Land wanted to give her a gift for her work on the show Hot in Cleveland, she convinced them to make a donation to the zoo, leading them to name an orangutan there Elka after her character on the program. The best part of her connection to the L.A. Zoo wasn't all the big stuff, though. It was just her general love for the place. She once pulled up to the gate with her car's trunk full of empty toilet paper tubes she'd been saving since she knew the zoo used them to stuff with food for enrichment games for various animals. She also had no problem with the fact that her celebrity could cause people at the zoo to try to pay attention to her, but didn't like it when they paid more attention to her than the animals. While she always handled fans with grace, she did become aware of the fact that the screaming and excitement over her could cause the animals stress, especially during the busiest times at the zoo. So, on days when attendance was expected to be high, if she wanted to visit, she would wake up super early and visit before the zoo was open to the public. The best part of this is that it only happened when she had reason to believe the animals might be stressed by the reaction to her of a large crowd. Otherwise, she just went in during regular hours as any animal lover does. The Los Angeles Zoo wasn't the only zoo to benefit from Betty's passion. <laughs> Far from it. White was a constant advocate for zoos in public. 
In 2011, she told People magazine, quote, Modern zoos of today are not like the old, old, old zoos. Lots of people have the impression they don't like zoos because animals shouldn't be kept in captivity. They should be in their natural habitat. But what they don't realize is that the zoos not only exhibit animals, but they work in that natural habitat to save small populations of endangered species. They save many animals from going extinct. She was also later quoted as saying, People forget the good that zoos do. If it weren't for zoos, we would have so many species that would be extinct today. This last quote is popping up on Facebook and Instagram all over the place right now as zookeepers from all around the country share it as they mourn the loss of Betty White. As she traveled the country and the world, White made it a point to visit many zoos and often took time out of her schedule to interact with keepers and animals at said zoos. She became a great friend to Jungle Jack Hanna at the Columbus Zoo, even attending the grand opening of the Heart of Africa section of the zoo in 2014 and returning two years later to attend a birthday party for a gorilla named Colo. She also became close friends with Ron McGill at Zoo Miami. Now, you may remember Ron as a former podcast guest and all-around incredible human who was my first Season 2 interview. After the interview, we were chatting more as he drove me on a golf cart through the zoo, and his friendship with Betty White came up. He told me some amazing stories, and while they aren't mine to repeat, I now treasure that moment even more than I already did. It's one thing to read about someone's passion for animals in the press. It's another thing entirely to hear stories firsthand from someone who walks the walk and talks the talk like Ron McGill does. Many other zoos have released tributes to Betty White today on social media, and these include pictures and stories of the time she spent at each zoo, including Smithsonian's National Zoo, the San Diego Zoo, San Diego Safari Park, and my personal favorite of all of these so far, Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo, which included the following quote from Betty. An apology is necessary after my visit to the Cleveland Zoo. I'm sorry I got lipstick on your giraffe. Betty White was known for being incredibly kind to her fans, and that was not just true of human fans. In 2004, she met Coco, the gorilla who was famous for her understanding of language and for keeping pet cats. Coco had long been a fan of White's, often choosing to watch the Golden Girls or other movies featuring White, and clearly seemed to recognize her when they met. During that first meeting, Coco invited White into her living area, a privilege granted to very few people. Betty just talked to Coco like she would to any person, greeted her like an old friend, and they actually had an amazing relationship. There are some awesome pictures of it. It's really beautiful to see. Betty White was also a trustee, trustee emeritus, and president emeritus of the Morris Animal Foundation. This is a nonprofit that invests in science to advance animal health. Over more than 50 years with the organization, White not only served as a leader, but also personally sponsored more than 30 health studies aimed at improving the health of both domestic and wild species. In 2010, she funded the creation of the Betty White Wildlife Rapid Response Fund through the foundation. The fund supported a study on the effects of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill on bottlenose dolphins. 
The fund was later renamed the Betty White Wildlife Fund, and it continues to fund research and address wildlife disasters, including providing over $1 million to support the rescue, rehab, and release of animals after the Australian wildfires in early 2020. Remember those? But before COVID? Feels like 30 years ago, right? But I digress. Along with her love of zoos and wild animals, Betty White was also a huge supporter of domestic animals. Her official fan club was called Bets Pets, and all membership dues were donated to animal rescue charities. She had pet dogs her entire life until 2017 when her last dog, a golden retriever named Pontiac, passed away. Not wanting to bring in a new dog and then leave them behind when she passed, White decided to stop having pets, but made sure she got lots of time with doggy visitors who were always welcomed at her home. White was also a huge supporter of working dogs and guide dogs in particular. She co-authored two books about guide dogs with her friend Tom Sullivan, The Leading Lady, Dinah's Story, and Together, A Story of Shared Vision. She also supported Guide Dogs for the Blind, donating annually without fail since 1986, attending events, writing personal notes for direct mail campaigns, and recording PSAs for the organization. She also helped raise funds for the Seeing Eye, the oldest guide dog school in the U.S. Every year she would make donations and also offer up a special item to the school's auction fundraiser, Dinner with Betty White. This item always brought in a lot of money for the school. Betty was also involved with American Humane, a group that has existed since 1877, thus making it older than her, one of the few things in the story, that is, which is a group that works to ensure the safety, welfare, and well-being of animals. They are perhaps best known for being the group who created the No Animals Were Harmed program that protects animal actors in movies, TV shows, and commercials. Her working relationship with the group, spanning over 70 years, led them to bestow her with the National Humanitarian Medal and the Legacy Award, the highest honors the group gives out. In truth, Betty White received so many awards from so many animal organizations, it would be impossible to list them all here. Well, no, it wouldn't, but it would be super boring and no one wants that. But the awards and accolades weren't why she did what she did for animals. In 2017, upon being awarded the James Smithson Bicentennial Medal for her commitment to wildlife and efforts to create a sustainable planet, specifically through her charitable work with zoos and animal rescues, she said, What a privilege to be honored simply for my passion, for what I love most in the world, animals. In researching this quick episode, I couldn't help but notice the similarities between Betty White and myself. Two entertainers with a passion for animals, trying our best to use our unique voices to help what we love, visiting as many zoos as we could, and meeting and taking pictures with as many species as we could. Though I notice her hair always looks perfect in those pics, and mine always seems somewhere between confused and slightly drunk. Hosting a zoo and conservation podcast isn't quite the same level as sitting on the board of the LA Zoo or donating tens of thousands of dollars to these places, nor is playing in a bunch of touring shows the same as starring in famous TV shows and movies. But in researching this piece, I couldn't help but feel a renewed passion for what I do, and also be reminded of the fact that every little thing every one of us does for animals is a step in the right direction. 
Betty White has inspired me. I am more fired up to grow Rasafari and use it for good than I ever have been. Which, I guess, is just one more small impact Betty White had on the animal world. Rest in peace, Betty White. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.